I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burr, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app. HD you are listening to a Live Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. The other thing I would say is this the government reform on APMC and essential commodities will also help better return for the farmers and the higher MSPs. So mm-hmm. all in all, while rural, I think, from the July quarter last year was really in shambles in terms of the decline. In fact, it was flat to negative for some categories, rural. And from the July quarter, I believe this year, it can be a savior for a lot of us, given that the urban you know, bottom of pyramid especially will be stressed. Uh, which product categories? Uh, uh, you said the demand was really slipping earlier. I think a lot of mass categories. If you look at uh, from quarter two, which is the July quarter, loss of mass categories, in, especially in personal care mass categories, the growth was almost flat to, you know, very flattish. <laughs> okay. Okay. Mr. Malik, how is uh, Rural shaped up for you and, uh, you know, for the Fortune brand? See, uh, 50% our sale comes from the rural market. And when we say rural, we define it any town less than 1 lakh population or below. So uh, our 50% business comes from rural and uh, this has been growing at double the rate of urban market since last two years. And uh, although there were signs of little drop in uh, the fourth quarter, that is uh, uh, OND, October, November, December of 19. But we, after that, we found that it's slowly picking up. We, we are very confident of uh, rural growth continuing. Uh, as rightly said by Sagata and uh, Mr. Naran, that uh, monsoon remaining good. Agri has been the least impacted of this. Second, um, the uh, economy being good, so much of uh, labor, uh, migrant uh, laborers have gone there, workers, they're going to stay back till July, August. Um, And if that happens, then the consumption in the rural, we expect to go up. And as rightly said, they were consuming branded products when they were sitting as staying in urban uh, towns. So, the demand might shift a little bit there, so we expect uh, uh, volumes to continue. And uh, um, I am confident that uh, the rural uh, markets will continue to do well. And as monsoon remains good, at least they will have enough money for uh, purchase of FMCG and essentials. Okay. Uh, Mr. Narayan, I just wanted to ask you, what about the uh, supply chain to rural? Was that also disrupted, the way, you know, the metro suffered? Look, I, I think um, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, for many of us, uh, urban markets are extremely important. Uh, so as was as was uh, uh, said also by, by Sogata, I think, you know, we can't, we can't forget the urban markets and just depend on rural markets to, uh, to, to bail out uh, companies, uh, they, you know, in, the, in, in any situation. 
but I think the impact was uh, harshest in uh, the urban markets, uh, really because uh, I think the the shortages of labor. Uh, I'm not talking about just factories, but even for example, uh, distribution centers. The shortage of labor, uh, I mean, there were, uh, I don't know how many thousand trucks that were stuck on the highways. Uh, that created a massive uh, shortage, a gridlock. All remember that in the first uh, uh, lockdown, Shuchi, all the dabas were closed. So there was no way in which a truck driver could travel for seven, eight days and, uh, and have any food to eat. So I think uh, as a consequence of all the, uh, of, of all the kind of constraints, uh, there was clearly, and also remember, uh, retail outlets in, in urban markets uh, were open for uh, very, very short periods of time. Uh, they were either closed or they were open for one or two hours or they were uh, there was social distancing. So the throughput per outlet also was, was coming down. Uh, so as a consequence of this, I think uh, there is there was a, a serious infirmities as far as urban markets are concerned. Uh, during which period, uh, I must say that uh, some of the smaller markets really held up. I mean, they were not being they were not being supplied because people were struggling to supply the, the large markets. Uh, but the fact is that uh, they they were holding on to whatever stocks they had till such time as a replenishment uh, model could start. Uh, but I think urban centers have taken uh, taken a, a far bigger beating. Uh, but as uh, as Mr. Malik rightly said, I think there has been a meltdown of the wholesale business. And wholesale is an important component of, of feeding the, the semi-urban and rural markets. And uh, that, will, that will have some impact. I don't know how big an impact it will be, but that will have definitely some impact uh, in, uh, in, uh, in the, to the detriment of consumption uh, in the coming quarters. Okay. Okay. Mr. Mendiratta, uh, do you, uh, you know, Metro stocks a range of products from packaged foods and household products to even office supplies. Where do you see the future demand coming from? What do you think are the consumers looking for now? How do you plan for that? That's a very good question. So I will say food and grocery will continue to do very well because these are very basic products. And even if you look at uh, various phases of the lockdown, Initially, there was a big jump in demand for commodities. You know, all the products which Adani and other commodity companies sell. People were stocking up flour, oil, sugar, etc. In the second phase, we have seen a big jump in sales, almost 60-70% growth versus last year for uh, the products which Suresh and Nestle are selling, like noodles, pasta, you know, there's a, there was a biscuits, snacks. So we saw a big jump in sales for these products. The other category, which is not very much talked about, but we saw is becoming increasingly important, is frozen food. You know, with a uh, lot of people working at home, made food coming uh, to support family, people are looking for ready-to-eat meals, frozen food, and people normally don't, like, they were earlier eating out a lot. Now eating out is not an option. Some people are still ordering online from restaurants, but dining out, dining out is virtually zero. So they want variety and they want to have different kind of uh, frozen food like kebab, it could be french fries, it could be potato wedges. So that category saw a 70-80% jump in sales and it's still holding on. So it was not a temporary aberration. As we, as uh, now the sale of non-essentials has been allowed, again we are seeing a very interesting pattern. So there's a big uh, growth in demand for what we call the household products. All your crockery, cutlery, you know, towels, bed sheets, people are going and buying these products. Also, demand for fans, uh, you know, during summer months, uh, refrigerators, ACs. There also some demand now coming for dishwashers, uh, uh, vacuum robots, uh, 
uh, vacuum cleaners, uh, you know, which are kind of robotic, easy to operate. But we find that the demand for discretionary products will eventually come down and has slowed down. For example, apparel. I don't think uh, apparel industry is going to have a very good year. It will take some time before the apparel industry starts registering good growth numbers. And you will see a lot of people now coming and doing end of season sale. There's also a fear which people have that, you know, all the apparel is, uh, you know, somebody has touched the apparel or the shirt. So they feel that the, the virus could still be lingering on onto the clothes and therefore they don't want to try it out. They also, there's a fear of using the trial rooms. So we think some of these categories will be badly, adversely impacted. Similarly, if you look at, uh, you know, um, let's say high-end televisions, I don't think there'll be a big jump in sale for high-end televisions. Uh, refrigerator is a basic product. I'll call it a basic. And that was the argument we gave to the Commerce Ministry that why are you putting it as non-essential? Because if the refrigerator breaks down in the household, it will be a major calamity for that household. So fortunately, they listened to that. So I think uh, some of the non-discretionary spends, uh, even auto sector, while we don't deal in autos, I think while there'll be a boost for private mobility, shared uh, taxis and shared uh, transportation will come down and there will be some boost for entry-level cars and autos, uh, two-wheelers. But I think discretionary spend will come down. The other thing which you will see, I think, unfolding is a lot of companies, especially in retail, you know, if you look at retail, only food and grocery retail was allowed. There were a lot of other retailers. There are small shopkeepers. There are six crore small shopkeepers in this country, out of which 1.2 crore are Kiranas. Balance are the other shopkeepers. So they had zero revenue for almost 60 days. So they were surviving on their savings. So this will lead to a slump in demand. People can't stop eating. People will uh, need the basic products. So I see the non-food part of the business will come down, but not the kitchen and basic household, but say furniture, travel, you know, luggage. Luggage sales have seen a big slump in demand. Nobody's going to be traveling. So some of these categories and companies will probably have a terrible year, uh, but uh, food and grocery will continue to remain very robust. Even within that, a lot of demand for processed food. People are not buying loose, so we were selling a lot of loose staples in our store. So people would like to smell the rice, hold it in their hand. Now they all want packaged staples because it is uh, more safe and healthier. Even uh, somebody mentioned earlier, I think Sogata mentioned, there's a big demand for immunity-boosting products, health and wellness products. Right, so these kind of things will do well, but some sectors are in for big time, and especially in urban, when there are going to be job losses, people are not sure about the future. There could be salary cuts. In we are in, I'm in the city of Bangalore. Bangalore has seen a lot of boom because of these startups. You know, they were offering very fancy packages, and now you see the layoffs which have started in the startup world. And the reason is, I think that's another important learning for all of us in business. As I say, sales is vanity, profit is reality. Our profit is uh, sanity and uh, cash is a reality. So a lot of them have run out of cash. So that's another important thing for all companies to look at, the cash reserve that you have in your balance sheet. So businesses which did not have a line of sight for profitability will suffer. And therefore, all the employees working in that sector will also have, a, will have some issues with employment. There could be salary cuts, and this could all impact consumption, especially in the urban areas. So has this crisis derailed your expansion plans? Because you already have 25 B2B stores. So how many did you plan to add and how has that been affected now? We, had 20, we have 27 stores. We have six, seven stores actually under construction. So because of, uh, you know, the lockdown construction activities have come to a grinding halt. Now our financial year being a German company is October 1 to September 30th. 
So we have moved the, uh, the opening of these stores from this current financial year, which gets over on September 30th, to October, November, December quarter. So, so while technically it's a small shift, for us technically it's next financial year, but as far as the Indian financial year, it's it's a shift by just a quarter. So I don't think it has impacted in a very big way. It's basically impacted by construction slowdown. Even now, a lot of migrant uh, you know, workers have gone back to their villages. So there's still a shortage of labor when you are involved in construction of stores. I have a question for Mr. Gupta. Uh, basically, you know, when this crisis uh, struck, what was your immediate response? You know, what was the immediate response of the company? Uh, did you worry about, you know, supply chain and distribution issues or were you contemplating launching new products like you did, you know, the veggie cleaner and sanitizer? No, I think uh, I remember this was the second week of March or sometimes uh, mid-March when we started preparing for a contingency plan because uh, even before the lockdown was announced, we had closed our offices, especially for people who were taking public transport. I think the okay. first few uh, weeks of the lockdown was to get the immediate thing was the safety of all the people concerned. And also, and I think as Suresh said, I think people is the most critical part, not only our own people, but our entire support system, whether it's distributors, CNFAs, we, we ensured that they are taken care of in terms of any support they need, some of them insured. And then I think the next following uh, uh, two weeks, we spent time in getting things back into some resemblance of you know orderly activity, especially supply chain and factories, so that we make the product available because there was a huge demand for some of the products. I think the second uh, learning is in all this has been a very transparent communication and over communication and I was pleasantly surprised that the ease in which we settled down to a work from home, I think that raises significant possibilities of the future in terms of how you want to work in India, especially with so much time taken for traveling, whether it will also drive a lot of diversity, opportunity for diversity and different sets of people working flexi. So I would say that uh, I was quite pleasantly surprised, although it was challenging on the coping ability and the ease in which we have transited from to work from home. I think it's uh, 68 days, I believe, or 67 days. We are still working from home. And unless the situation stabilizes, although I believe, I mean, you can get to work in Bombay with limited 10%, we think that we can still continue to work like this because safety of the people is first. Uh, Suresh, let me get back to you on the question that I think went unanswered when you quoted Peter Drucker and you said, culture, it's strategy for breakfast. Uh, in kinds of inflection points that we have seen, you have seen quite a lot, uh, uh, the Maggie controversy being one of them, and this is the second and maybe many more before that. Uh, what is the test of uh, the resilient culture? And is it that a culture also pivots? The first thing is, I think, uh, culture is the unspoken language in the company uh, in good times and in bad times uh, that helps navigate the organization uh, in rough seas and towards safer shores. So this is the language, uh, this is the actions, this is the behaviors uh, that transcends hierarchy, that uh, transcends experience, uh, that transcends generations. And that speaks to the same set of purpose and values that you have as a company. 
and i think i think that is that is for me the most crucial test of whether your culture is working or your culture is not working you know it is always it is always in difficult times uh, that the culture has to work for you in good times everybody does well and you know everybody is uh, you know rising tide as they say raises all boats so i think that is that is very very uh, important uh, for culture to pivot uh, is extremely difficult unless you already have uh, the end point of the pivot uh, as part of your dna where you are today so if you are for example a culture that is uh, go getting that is aggressive that is uh, hyper personal in terms of uh, in terms of reward recognition uh, is also very much uh, aggressive in terms of people seeking their own futures and careers at the cost of the rest of the organization and then you want to pivot into a caring respectful a purposeful and value driven organization a uh, good luck to you because that is not going to be uh, something that's going to be easy so pivoting is only possible when you have got the uh, the dna in you uh, to reach that uh, to reach that point and i think i think that is uh, uh, that is what you know i think uh, i would just like to quote a doha from kabir i'm very fond of of, of of kabir and he said he said dheere dheere se mana dheere sab kuch hoye mali siche so gada rutu aaye phal hoye so everything is natural and slow in nature just by a gardener taking 100 pots of water and uh, and uh, irrigating the seed the fruit will come only in spring so i think culture is a bit like that you have to work on it work on it and leadership has to has to live it has to practice it has to breathe it so it is it is a it is a long drawn process but it is a very rewarding process and that is i have seen it as a leader probably the most rewarding part of my career uh, is participating in the building and nurturing of careers of uh, of cultures sugata so, you want to take that question up and uh, give us your insights into how resilient a culture needs to be in times like this so i i, I would uh, i would believe that uh, to give you an let me take mariko's example i think historically we have been successful because by punching above our weight so we call ourselves insurgent and not incumbent you know and uh, what we call in our company a founders mentality where everybody should have a founders mentality and i think this brought about the best in us i think the coping ability of us and uh, what i got surprised is a lot of people came and told me when i have been meeting them that they never realized they they actually realized their true potential in the last 8 weeks that they never realized they had so much risk taking ability they had so much cope, you know in terms of courage and they had so much resilience so i am actually i believe that it brought about a lot of and in fact if you really look at history the biggest innovation comes when there is adversity whether there has been during world wars or during the adversity time so i think it has forced a lot of us to come out of our comfort zone and that true uh, what i call that scaled insurgent what i want uh, this company to become as we scale up because always what happens when a company scales up there is a chances of bureaucratization process i too much processes and people becoming more incumbent than insurgent i think that process to me has got uh, completely uh, the culture has pivoted back to the old marico and think that is something which i am very happy about it's not that okay didn't need a covid to do it 
but i think this has actually brought about the quite that fighting spirit in us so that forces me to ask you a question i'm sorry what was the old marico like no no i'm talking of the old marico means when we were a much more a smaller company so what happens is uh, if you as you scale up obviously you have to manage the long term with the short term speed with excellence you have to manage empowerment with processes and you know the kind of governance so obviously there is a risk from a whenever you were a 500 crore company versus a you know today a 1 billion dollar company there are uh, but i think the old dna of being a, everybody being a founder everybody having that insurgent mentality i think that uh, we could leverage that unleash that full potential during this time i think that to me has been a very very refreshing discovery whether it's uh, getting things on time people actually are working from home but they are we still have meetings we start our day at 8 o'clock and we actually end the day actually we are giving much more and i think that has and also the collaboration i have seen i think far more collaboration and making things happen uh, i would say that uh, this has been a quite a glue that at moments of adversity this uh, the kind of collaboration and the glue and the teamwork has actually helped us to today i would say compared to and of course thanks to our sector but otherwise we are in a reasonably okay shape i would say uh, arvin let me ask you this question uh, you on mute i think uh, yeah. uh, the question about uh the same culture issue uh meena ganesh was here on this show two weeks back and she said that this is going to be the era of the reluctant entrepreneur where the risk is going to subside to a great extent so does a low risk have any impact on a culture that you are very proud of i mean are we going into a phase where we have to start thinking of low risk and a very cautious culture i honestly don't agree with that so i will say the first priority for everybody all companies especially for us because we had stores open during the pandemic and they were uh, you know we had employees coming and attending those stores the customers in those stores we had customers shopping was health and safety of our employees as also the customers and i am very proud to say that you know we implemented lot of safety measures because we had lot of advanced learnings coming from the european markets germany if you see is one country which has done a pretty decent job in terms of controlling the pandemic so we had those learnings with us and we implemented them even before the lockdown was announced in india so that has helped us ensure uninterrupted store operations of course there were some challenges with the local administration which almost everybody experienced but we were able to get over that hurdle but what has really pleasantly surprised us is the kind of ownership which suresh talked about that uh, different individuals across the organization have shown in fact we have a very interesting leadership model uh, is something that is very close to my heart i say a true leader is one a holistic leader is one who has three essential uh, you know things one is who uses his head who has a heart to connect with people and also has guts because you are a true leader you only if you embody all these three traits you know you can be very smart but if you don't connect with people you can fail similarly you may be very smart very good with people but you are not decisive you cannot take risk you are not gutsy it again is a recipe for disaster so we have seen you know several examples of people going beyond their normal job descriptions and rising to the challenge looking at opportunities without asking for permission going and making things happen 
So this is one of the reasons which also helped us in the business. Uh, one example I'll give you an opportunity which uh, normally nobody talks about is because, uh, you know, uh, but it was a big opportunity for somebody like us. So, you, you know, there are a lot of migrant workers who got stranded in the cities and uh, they were struggling for food. They were struggling for uh, even basic hygiene products. And there were a lot of NGOs who chipped in. Uh, they were able to collect the funding and they wanted to buy these things. The traditional wholesale markets were shut. Nobody had the stock. So they came to us and we were able to supply products to them at very, very competitive prices, uh, slightly above cost. And we did a lot of business catering to these NGOs and charities in during this time. And, you know, we have got orders from government institutions. We have got orders from private charities. And it's a big chunk of our business in the last couple of months. It's like, uh, you know, not a small amount. It's like 70, 80 crore of business has been generated. And this was driven by people at the local level. We've also seen great examples of store managers taking leadership and making sure that despite the lockdown, Mumbai has had one of the most severe lockdowns. We have two stores in Mumbai. So they made sure they personally organized transportation for their employees. They even talked to the parents of these employees saying that, you know, when they come to work at Metro, they'll be safe. They educated them on the safety measures. There's no directive coming from the head office for them to do this. We were all locked down. We, we could not travel. But the people, not even at my direct report level, but people below that level who kept the stores running, who were you know, licensing with the authorities to make sure the stores were kept open and we did not experience any problem. So this is a great example of if you allow people, if you empower people to set the vision for them, they can make miracles happen. One of the companies that I was fortunate to work for is PNG. I started my career with Procter & Gamble. They're a very interesting model of leadership. And we try to follow that, uh, you know, at least wherever I am, try to follow that. They say the role of a leader is to provide a vision and vision. And then you need to make sure that you create an empowering environment for your people. And third is you need to energize your people. You know, if you can provide a clear vision of what you want and you give people enough space so that they are empowered, they feel empowered, they behave like owners, the founder's mindset that Sogata referred to. And then they are also energized because you want people to feel energized when they come to work. Miracles can happen. People, ordinary people will end up doing extraordinary things because we don't hire, you know, smart MBAs in the stores. We need people with a lot of common sense, people with problem-solving ability, and people who can, you know, with good executional skills in our stores. Our stores have to look great every single time, 24 hours, or whenever they're open. So, you know, if you empower people and you tell them this is okay and this is the boundary within which you have to work, don't set too many directions, I think you will see great results. And we saw that across 27 stores. I can tell you we had very harsh lockdowns in say, states like Ahmedabad. Last month, the store was shut down for 14 days. But the people there took tremendous ownership. They never gave up. They gave us solutions. They were talking to authorities all the time. And uh, they came with new innovative solutions to reach out to people. Even in Indore, you will be surprised that at one point of time in Indore, the, the district magistrate and the municipal commissioner took a decision that only milk and medicines will be allowed to, so to be sold. And even food and grocery was not allowed. So they made sure that they talked to the government I don't even know whom they met. And they said, we could partner with you to provide supplies, food supplies to every household. And uh, we brought in partners, our Kiranas, to help in the process because we can't do direct billing to the end customers. So I've seen tremendous stories of great leadership, great ownership displayed by people because of which we saw very good results in the months of April and May. And this is an ongoing process. I don't think it's something which happens. Uh, it's, it's part of the culture because we have a very clear culture. We say, you know, 
we, we talk about three things. One is, uh, you know, uh, first thing is you need to focus on excellence. Don't settle for mediocrity. Uh, that's very important. Second is be customer centric. In fact, it ties down to our purpose of being the champions for small independent businesses in India. It's small Kirana store owners and the restaurant owners, making them more successful. And third thing is a lot of collaboration and teamwork and openness and transparency. So if you if you give people the broad guidelines, I think uh, great things happen. Even though in our MNC you have a lot of do's and don'ts, but you know it's up to the individual leader to decide how you want to lead the organization. Uh, basically, how much uh, technology are you already using, you know, at Nestle? And do you see more automation going forward in view of labor shortages? Uh, that's a good question, uh, Shushi. You see, uh, for us, uh, automation is also a function of uh, not just the efficiencies that we seek uh, because of the scale that we produce at, uh, but also because of inherent reasons of uh, quality and safety that we need to manage across the uh, the manufacturing chain. So uh, we don't uh, we don't take decisions on automation simply because uh, there is a migrant labor shortage today. We take the decision on automation uh, provided it it uh, it satisfies number one uh, the efficiency and quality that we seek. Number two that it is a sustainable solution, and number three. Uh, that it is a solution that uh, gives us the flexibility uh, that tomorrow, if we want to 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 change it, uh, then we are capable of changing it because the mechanization is there and we don't have a lot of people who are involved and they would need to be redeployed. So there are very clear reasons why automation uh, is important. Uh, I think we are we are putting up our ninth factory now in India in in in, in Sanand. And that will be an example of uh, outstanding uh, digitization and also automation. Uh, and, uh, you know, since we have the access to uh, global technologies, uh, being a global company, uh, I think there are advantages that, uh, that we bring to bear. Uh, but decisions are invariably taken because of uh, value addition to the process, to quality, to safety, and to sustainability. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you. I'll hand over to Vinay now. Oh, let me on behalf of Mint, thank you very much for giving us your time and telling us your stories of struggle, pain, and the pursuit of excellence. And uh, we are much richer today hearing stories about people and culture and how these two things are very important in every transformation and how much you depend and rely on these two aspects of the organization. Thank you all. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This was a LiveMint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, 
Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.